0: This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And so I want to give a special thank you to Ross Hetherington, who just made a very generous contribution to the show via PayPal. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so now let's get to our show.
1: Wired.com
2: presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley.
0: Hello, and welcome to episode 424 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show we'll be discussing Season 3 of the German science fiction series Dark on Netflix. And this will involve spoilers for every episode of the show, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests, all of whom previously appeared in our panel on Season 1 back in Episode 294, and our panel on Season 2 back in Episode 372. So first up we've got Erin Lindsay, making her 21st appearance on the show. She's the author of the Bloodbound series of epic fantasy novels and the Nicholas Lenoir series of paranormal detective novels, which she writes under the name Yale Tetonsor. A Golden Grave, the latest novel in her Rose Gallagher series of historical mysteries, is out now. So, Aaron, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. Always great to be here.
0: The next up we've got Raphael Jordan, making his 12th appearance on the show. He's written over 25 feature films that have premiered on video and cable television, including The Immortal Voyage of Captain Drake, Star Runners, and Vampire Nation. He also co-wrote the new series Salvage Marines, starring Casper Van Dien and Peter Shinkota. So, Raphael, welcome to the show.
3: Can't wait to dive in.
0: (laughs) And also joining us today is Rory Carroll, making his third appearance on the show. He's a senior TV reporter and producer with Virgin Media News in Ireland. He started out as a local radio reporter and has spent the past 17 years as a broadcast journalist, covering everything from politics to crime. So, Rory, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be back. All right. So, Rory, this whole... Dark panel from the beginning was your idea. Uh, this is the third one. So how do you feel now that it's all over?
2: I am the origin. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was It was good to get back into it when I saw the – I think I saw it first on YouTube. Um, I followed the Netflix account, and they put up a, a, a trailer for Dark saying coming June twenty seventh. So I was looking forward to it. Now, I didn't get time to go back and watch um, – season two and i think this is a show that you i think ideally in a perfect world you'd watch seasons one two three back to back so it took me a little while to get back into season three trying to even though there were recaps uh, played it took me a little while to get back into season three to try to remember who was what and where we where we left off yeah I, um, I feel
0: like ideally you would want to watch season one five times and read a lot of message boards about it and watch a lot of YouTube videos about it and then move on <laughs> yeah. to season two and sort of repeat and that then, process.
1: And then still not know.
2: <laughs> but but I've never been one for really doing deep dives outside of the actual show or book or whatever it may, may be. I know, you know, you could go off on huge tangents on Reddit or YouTube. I, I've never really been one for that. I just tend to stick to... The text as is given to us. Um, but it was great to get back into this. I was just so happy to see it again. Um, but it really is, it's a, it's a real head scratcher in, in some places. And I, I even noticed before they, they, uh, kicked off the show, Netflix on its official YouTube account was putting up, you know, uh, explainers to help you get back in.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. And, uh, I remember uh, Rafael a month or two ago was messaging me saying, Hey, just remember dark season three is coming out. So uh I know Raphael has been really excited about this. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
3: Um, and you're absolutely right. The show requires, I think, ideally to be watched in a short amount of time back to back. And the whole mantra of the end is the beginning and the beginning is the end, I think, is all just subliminal strategy to get you to rewatch the whole thing just over and over. <laughs> because uh, we we timed it out so that my girlfriend and I finished seasons two and three. Basically, we watched it over the past. Week and then we ended last night around midnight, and I was like, "You know what? I got to keep going. I have to start at the beginning again." And she's like, "You're crazy. I'm going to bed."
0: But <laughs> wait, so did you did you start at the beginning again?
3: Oh, absolutely, because I felt compelled to rewatch it now, having knowing what I knew about season three and how it ended. I wanted to go back and watch it from the beginning and see what I would catch. And there was a lot of little details I did wait, catch. How the much? Second time. How
0: much did you watch?
3: I made it till about five or six in the morning, so, <laughs> and uh, I didn't I didn't quite do a complete rewatch, sadly, but I got about two thirds of the way through season one again.
0: Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, because i uh, I have only watched I watched season one twice when we did that panel, and then I watched season two once when we did that panel, and then I only watched season three once. So I'm glad that we got Raphael here to to fill me in on all the stuff that I've forgotten. Cause you know, I, I went back and listened to our other panels and there was so much stuff. I was like, it was almost like encountering a younger version of myself who knew this show a lot better <laughs> than, I, than the current version of me does. I
2: was like, yeah. man,
0: I wish the younger version, I wish the me from last time could be here to join us to, to remind me of all the stuff I've forgotten in the meantime. Um, well, it's also interesting.
3: Cause if you cram, you tend to forget when I rewatched season two, it was like watching it for the first time
0: again. I barely remembered it. Mm-hmm. How about Aaron? What are you, kind of how, how are you feeling now that this is all over?
1: I'm sad that it's over. Um I'm sad, but I, I I not I think it's the right decision to do that um that triad, you know, just to keep it to a trilogy like that. Um but I did not do any rewatches and I I mean I didn't do do so on purpose, but it's true that there's just an extraordinary number of details that um escaped me completely to the point where even at the end, and with the benefit of some of the explainers that have gone up, and I have to say like If the network feels obliged to put an explainer up on YouTube, it is definitely the sign of a complicated show. And I was really interested to see some of those explainers are quite recent, and they still have just a tremendous number of views. So that's a sign, I think, that one, the show is pretty popular, and two, that there were a lot of people who were left wanting more and wanting some of those loose ends tied off for them. At the end, and I certainly felt like that. Um, and I'm I'm anxious to dive into the discussion because there I still have questions that might be questions simply because I've forgotten some thread that didn't seem important at the time, and I didn't pull on it in season one or two um, that have left me with sort of wait I still don't get <laughs> it kind of a reaction to some of the things that happened in season three.
0: Well, right. And, uh, you know, I said last time I declared this my second favorite show on TV after The Expanse. And so maybe I had um overly high expectations going into this, but I was a little let down by season three. And I noticed that on Rotten Tomatoes, the scores are season one, 89 percent, season two, 100 percent, season three, 95 percent. And mm-hmm. obviously, 95 percent is a very high score, but it's, uh, you know, less than 100 percent. And I think my impression after getting to the end initially was like, I would give this like, yeah, like 89%. And then after reading stuff on the internet, I'm like, well, stuff made more sense than it initially appeared to me. So I'm, I'm going to raise it up to, yeah, like 95. No, well, yeah, some say low nineties, but definitely I liked season two more. So I, I, guess, I think season two was the best. I, I guess let's just start there. Um, does, that, does anyone not agree with that? um i
3: don't necessarily agree i i I really enjoyed the way season three expanded the scope and redefined the parameters of the show i mean for the first time we truly understood what was happening but you know i'm willing to grant that on an episode episode by basis maybe season two was the most compelling but if you're asking me to agree i don't know if i do
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right well so so aaron you said you have some questions so so lay it on us what are some of your questions
1: well, I do have some questions. Um, I, I guess my reaction to season three overall is similar to yours, Dave, but I wonder, um, you know, afterwards, I, I felt kind of like there were these places of disappointment that I, a couple that I could clearly identify, but a, a couple that were sort of nagging in the background, like I wasn't really sure why I was having that reaction. And I wondered if to some degree, it isn't inevitable when you have a show where you spend By design, the viewer spends so much time coming up with their own theories and their own scenarios that when finally the answers are presented, there's almost certainly going to be a certain level, well, that's not how I saw it playing out. And and maybe you get attached to your own theories and there's a certain inevitability to that slight sense of letdown i'm I'm not really sure but i mean my questions are so small and niggly and specific like the one that leaps out at me is apparently um the origin do we want to just dive right into this the the child yeah the well, nameless child
0: let me exp- let me explain as, up, much yeah. as, as much as i can so like yeah, if you haven't watched this show just abandon all hope <laughs> you enter here. But um, if you watched, if you listen to our last two panels, at least. So basically, yeah. So what's new in this season is that we find out that there are two parallel universes existing in tandem of, of Wyndham, of uh, Winden of this town. Uh, one in which the main character, pretty much Jonas, uh, you know, existed that we saw. And then this other one where he didn't. And then we also find out that Jonas and Martha have a child, who appears as three people a a child a, a adult and an old man who go around killing people um and so i don't know if there's a let's let's just start with that so so then aaron go ahead
1: yeah and and that whole piece of the puzzle was for me the least satisfying on a number of different levels um the the one the question that i was left with is, is apparently some version presumably the middle version of this child who is never given a name um this is voldemort you know <laughs> he who shall not be named um this child is the father gets together with agnes um and is the father of tronte is that right and yes I, I missed that
2: <laughs> totally yeah well, well, i don't Roy- think that was said as such <laughs> really was it i think it was suggested and do we want to go into the the family tree now that we we Yeah, yeah. No, we're, so, we're so all So at? Man,
0: the man with the family tree I I completely missed I I only know that because of what other people have said if does anyone yeah. know when that was established in the show cuz I, 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 I sure don't I
2: I don't think it was in season 2 Agnes we would, you know just the husband or the father of of Tronte was just never around and i can't remember exactly what agnes said about about him in season 2 but he he definitely wasn't there well and yeah. then, so, so i, I remember noah. that she
0: she either stated or implied that he was abusive and she was hiding from him and he was a member of the clergy somehow mm. yeah that's right um, and we initially all thought it was
2: was noah was sure noah. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah um but uh, rafael <laughs> bring your fresh memory uh in here is is what we're saying correct here i'm trying to sort it out
3: as i'm listening <laughs> <laughs> um that sounds correct uh i yes i, I can't I, dispute it
1: i think it is just because that that recap video that you sent rory from netflix mm. um you know you know that the piece at the end that made me laugh it's like let's play who doesn't exist anymore yeah and it it goes through this sort of montage of clips from mm-hmm. all three seasons and when it gets to the part where it says that the nameless man is the father of Tronte, the clip doesn't show him. <laughs> so it suggests to me that that's a bit of a retrofit or something maybe that got left on the editing room floor, but whatever it is, it seems like it wasn't on the screen and needed to be. Right. And then the second piece that I just found really strange about that is I I don't like that they made that Eva's whole motivation. So just to, to explain um the, sort of defining characteristic of season three is that you have these two opposing forces in the parallel worlds you have adam whom we are familiar with from season two but then he's got the counterpart eva who turns out to be future marta in the alternate world and they're working as opposing forces and adam wants to um he wants the apocalypse to happen so that everything is wiped out and all of their suffering eternal suffering is ended and Eva wants to sort of keep the loop going forever and ever, because, and this is where I think they really, it's the, the only sort of place that I can point to as kind of a failure of imagination, in my opinion, of the show, which is that the, the motivation they give Eva for this is that she wants to protect her child, which is a little bit, I don't know, it's a little bit lazy to me. I think I can do a rewrite in my head where it's much more satisfying that we can, to me, anyway. Also, that we could her talk child about. is no
0: great shake. So let's just. And that was the there. second.
1: That was this. That leads me to exactly. You're totally right, Dave. Exactly what I was going to say, which is that her child is creepy as fuck. <laughs> and all he does, his entire existence, is murdering people at her behest. So, what kind of existence is that? Like, even if you could get past the fact that your child is creepy as fuck, surely you still want the best for them. And what kind of existence is it if their entire raison d'etre from the time they're, what, eight or nine? or however old the kid version is, to the old man, their whole thing is going around murdering people. That's all they do. So why would she want to preserve that? And why why does he have to be creepy and evil? And all of that just kind of felt a little bit phoned in, quite frankly. And it was my only real criticism of it, but so it said, was such a letdown.
0: You said you, 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 you could have a rewrite in your head, or you do have a rewrite in your head for what would be a better motivation for Ava?
1: I do. Yeah. I, I guess my other big letdown for the for the show, and I'll just get them out of the way, because overall, I really did enjoy it. My other big letdown was that at the end, we kind of gloss over the fact that the, the quote unquote, happy ending or medium ending involves the wiping out of existence of huge numbers of characters that we've grown attached to. And to me, it would have been more compelling if Marta wants to keep the loop going because it's the only way these people will ever live. It's the only way her brothers will ever live. It's the only way her lover will ever live. And for her, you know, some kind of existence is better than none. That, well, that would have been enough on its own to me, like to, to grapple really with the, the morality of, of wiping these people out of existence.
2: I don't know how well that the show jumps all over the place, so I suppose we may as well jump all over the place. If you're talking about the ending, I, I found it when they Actually, do Actually, why
0: don't all, we why don't we save the very the, the oh, like, yeah. very ending
2: for for right, the well, end. So <laughs> uh, well, this, this is going to. What I, what get I wanted to say was, and I was listening to our season two podcast, and um Aaron kind of pointed out that the we initially thought Noah was the big bad, and then Adam shows up, and I think in season three. The opposing force, the main feature there, the main face there, up until season three had been Claudia. And then that's when Eva shows up. So again, we have this thing where there's an overall controlling force. It's not just, initially it was Noah and Claudia, but then it turned out to be Adam and Eva, um, which I liked. I kind of like that again. And I also, if you want to get back to the, to even the first episode, you know, we were, we were, seeing parallels between Marta in this alternate world and Jonas in the very first episode of the very first season. She's cycling through the woods. She's wearing a yellow jacket. Um I noticed there were nice little things. I didn't notice it initially. I saw it afterwards on one website that if you look at the house they're in... uh Actually, maybe we should get into that. See, the very first episode of season three starts in this alternate world where... um Ulrich is no longer with Katrina, his wife. He's with Hannah, but he's still up to his old tricks uh He's now having an affair on the side with Charlotte, but they're living in Hannah's house, Jonas's house from the other universe, but things are slightly different. I didn't notice it until I read it afterwards. Simple things like the stairway is on the other side of the of the room uh things like that yeah well all, um, all
0: the shots are flipped horizontally mm. in the mm-hmm. in the alternate universe. And did anybody
2: notice Cher turn back time at the very start of it?
1: <laughs> yeah, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs>
0: playing on the, nice on the radio in the kitchen. That was yeah. subtle. Uh, I want to get Raphael in here. So Raphael, you said you really liked season three. You want to just talk about what, what are some of the strengths you think of season three?
3: Sure. Absolutely. Um, first of all, to Aaron's point about, you know, expectations and theorizing and sometimes it kind of, um, makes the actual ending a little disappointing. I, I agree. That's generally, um, a true thing that happens for this show. Um, I think it was one of the few shows where it just felt so meticulously plotted and planned out. It wasn't like Lost or Stranger Things where they just kind of kept going longer than they should have that um I thought it really landed in a satisfying way. I, I thought it was – you alluded to this, both of you, um, but the dichotomy of how Ava just wants to keep – existence going because it's better than not existing, like no matter how bad it is. Whereas, you know, they were very opposite in that regard. I do agree that if her whole point had been to kind of do it for the sake of everyone, if that had been made more clear, that would have been a nice little thing. But overall, I did really enjoy how it moved from a story of fate versus free will and a battle against time itself into the two opposing forces who couldn't see beyond their own existence. And it took a third party, Claudia to come in and basically change the paradigm and finally untie the knot i i thought it was actually really satisfying and clever
0: i agree you know i have a lot of issues with season three but one thing i'll say for it is that you know i was expecting if you go back and listen to our first panel i was expecting the show to completely fall apart in season Mm -hmm. two and the fact that it made it through three seasons where the time travel stuff as far as i can track basically holds together i have some quibbles mm-hmm. but i it never got to a point where i st- where, where i just felt like the thing had just completely gone off the rails and it was ruined and right. for a story of this a time travel story of this complexity to not have that happen you know after so many episodes i think it's a real accomplishment
3: mm-hmm. absolutely uh, I, I have a few friends who are waiting till it was over they wanted my review like <laughs> does it th- does it make sense in the end because if it doesn't we don't want to watch it and i'm going to completely recommend it i think they stuck the landing
0: yeah, yeah. And, and the fact it's, that yeah. it's, you know, I, I would really say it's the most sophisticated elaboration of the time travel trope that I can think of. I mean, I don't think anyone has pushed time travel farther than this show does.
1: I think, too, because they leaned into the paradox. They leaned into the, the sort of, I mean, one of my favorite scenes of the whole series is um, young Tannhaus giving us the Schrodinger's cat explanation. It's mm-hmm. done like, like a 70s video sure. that you would have seen in a school that hadn't updated its AV, AV equipment in forever. I loved that whole thing. Um, and I also liked uh, the, the Netflix explanation afterwards where they're like, if you don't get it, that's okay. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> because
1: I definitely don't get it. I mean, I get it in, in principle, sure, but I, I still don't understand something-something waves. I don't know.
3: Well I'd be lying if I said I understood the show I mean I still have a lot of little questions and uh the Schrodinger's cat thing was a great scene but that episode introduced a lot of questions too or I guess in general in season 3 when they kind of went into the whole not only within the separate worlds are there separate realities I'm like wow they're really they're really going for broke here and I, I almost feel like that was a can of worms maybe they shouldn't have opened but it was necessary to have Jonas still around I don't know
2: Or well, I think if you're going to do it just as as Aaron said, go all in, lean into it. You know, don't hold back. It's it's you know you're wrapping up the season, go for throw everything at it. I'd say.
0: Well, let me talk about my my main issue with season three is that I think that it, as I said, I think it held together impressively well as a puzzle, but I thought that season three, as a piece of drama, kind of fell flat Com- for me a little completely bit. Completely agree. And I think that the reason for that is that. I feel like the three um, seasons have pretty much the same approach, pretty much the same um, level of tension and action and, and so on. And really, if you, you know, take creative writing 101, you would, they would show you Freytag's triangle with the rising action. And I was expecting at the end of season two when um, uh, alternate world Marta shows up looking kind of um, badass, like she's an experienced time traveler. I was like, okay, this is really gonna—the pace is really gonna pick up now. We're heading into the home stretch. You know, things are gonna get crazy, and then so much of season three is filling in, like here's how Peter met Charlotte, or like things that I, I don't care about mm-hmm. at all, and and just really kind of bore me. Um And also the characters of of Jonas and Marta um remain especially like and I was sort of disappointed with alternate world Marta who my initial impression was she was going to be totally badass but then she just kind of becomes another Jonas where she's just kind of like shell shocked and being led around by the nose by um older time travelers and I felt like neither of them really were um active characters or made choices or anything until maybe at the very very end but um and so that sort of kind of flattens out the whole dramatic effect to me um <laughs>
3: I'll concede that I've always had a penchant for world building and plotting, sometimes even over character development. So I think for me, all Season 3 did so much heavy lifting to bring the first two seasons together. I think I did appreciate it on that level, even if you're right, on some level maybe it wasn't as dramatically satisfying. My my big complaint with Season 3, honestly, was just at some point towards the very end, I felt like the voiceovers became overbearing because it's just saying the same things over and over. But the practical reason why they did it was because they needed voiceovers voiceover over a lot of the clips they were showing that didn't have dialogue but that would have been my one complaint i guess in that regard
1: i'm glad you said that because i had the same reaction and i was wondering if it was because i'm also watching snow piercer which is a train wreck mm-hmm. and i totally I <laughs> mean that it just came out anyways It's it total train wreck um and one of the things that they do that's super annoying is every episode opens with this monologue by one of the characters <laughs> and and i'm so over it and it it started to grate on me with dark as well, and I was like, I I wonder if that's just kind of carryover from Snowpiercer, and I'm just annoyed with that device, and mm-hmm. it wouldn't bother me otherwise. But it sounds like it bothered you a little bit as well.
3: Well, full disclosure, I also watched Snowpiercer, so you could be <laughs> on to
1: something.
3: Um, but yeah, you know, ironically, it really struck me finally in the final two episodes where I wanted them to just barrel towards the finish. And they're just telling us the same thing that we already know over and over how everything's connected. It's like, dude, we get it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I would have liked to have seen more of alternate wind. And I think I, I like I'm a big fan of the kind of alternate world. <laughs> mm-hmm. back in the day i used to I used to watch sliders years ago, and uh, I'm a big fan of the alternate world thing and as well i it was nice to see again listening to our season two podcast. I think we all lamented the loss of Ulrich and how he wasn't a big player. It was good to see him again. I really mm-hmm. like that actor, and I would have liked to have seen more of that
0: see i i I just kind of disagree with that i mean i um I really liked our first glimpse of alternate winton uh, Winton where um you know Jonas goes to school and nobody knows who he is and then um, you know, Francisca is now uh deaf rather than Elizabeth. Like those things were like really mm. sort of like striking oh, and um <laughs> the waller is now um <laughs> what our match. arm rather than has a <laughs> eye patch. Mm-hmm. Like those kinds of things were like really, you know, really got my interest. But then I felt like once we started following um Ulrich and Charlotte investigating matt's disappearance, I was kinda like I saw this already in season one and I felt sort of bored by that. Uh, yeah. I didn't. I didn't learn anything I didn't already know. I felt like
3: you know. Speaking of glimpses of Wyndon, that's kind of one of my overall minor. Critiques of the show, although I don't know, it was intentional clearly. But we never really see the town. Did it occur to anyone else that all we ever really see are the people walking through the woods, or we see the or police houses. station or a house? Yeah. But they said there's over twenty thousand registered cars and presumably families in that town. We never see the town. I, I just found
0: that yeah. a really
2: interesting. We R- actually made that exact point in our uh, season mm. two. What's it, what's everybody else doing? You know,
1: that's even, what I want to know. Even though the whole thing explodes, you'd think we would at least see it, the whole thing explode. But, mm-hmm. but no. But, but Dave, I think you really nailed it though about the, the lack of sort of dramatic progress. And to me, it wasn't, I didn't experience it so much as a question of the tension not being there. Um, and the forward momentum not being there as that the character development just disappeared. Um, and it became, as you said, like almost nobody has any agency. They're just being, well, a- among the main characters, they're just kind of being led around by the nose and they don't change at all. And so, you know, we get Ulrich back, but, uh, he is indeed up to his old tricks, like, <laughs> yeah. like exactly paint by numbers. And we've seen all of that. And so it's kind of boring and falls flat. And I think it, I understand sort of how that goes because we're, we're talking about something that's a loop and everybody doing what they've always done and, and this question of, of what is predestined. So of course, you know, it, it makes a certain degree of sense that there isn't a lot of progress in the character development. But from a viewer's standpoint, I, I did find it kind of disappointing. You just been, kind of, everybody's kind of feckless by the end of it.
2: Would it have been too jarring if, if they went to the alternate world and, you know, Ulrich owned a burger bar and uh, <laughs> Katri- <laughs> Katrina was a, a neurosurgeon or something? You, you know what I mean?
1: A little more different? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I didn't even have so much personally an issue with the um, the fact that they were in similar roles. Just that they were still, everybody was still kind of going through the motions. And yeah. again, I get that that was kind of the point, so I do see the dilemma there.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it um, would've, it would've but been it nice falls flat. If Ulrich had actually figured out some stuff that we didn't already know, because I still have yeah. a lot of questions about the um, Noah's time machine and the kidnappings and the transporting the kids through time and all that stuff. And the why, why, what does Helga put coins on them and all this stuff. And if Ulrich had just gotten some answers to some of those questions, that would have justified that subplot enough for me.
1: And there are still questions like that. For example, I'm still not clear on why certain characters did the things that they did. And a lot of the things they kind of wave it away, especially for, for Ava's side of the equation, they kind of wave it away as well, because we need everything to happen as it did before. Um, and I I understand that up to a point, but somebody must have made the decision the first time for a reason. Like, yeah. it can't all be exogenous like that. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, Otherwise, well, it doesn't really make sense. Well,
0: Marta, two, two of Marta's decisions seem completely unmotivated to me, and it just seemed like plot contrivances. And one was to have sex with this version of Jonas that she never knew before, who shows up, like, with a rope burn around his neck and, like crying all the time and just like seeming like weird
1: completely filthy and i (laughs) couldn't get over it
0: no that was actually i found that distracting i found that distracting (laughs) and then that she would kill him like it just doesn't seem consistent with her character at all like you know like the older version of herself just tells her basically like you need to kill him to protect your child who she just met and who's super creepy and again it just didn't seem like something that character would do at all
1: why did charlotte kidnap charlotte
0: I
3: actually feel like these complaints are intermingled to to an extent where they get negated. <laughs> it's almost kind of like when Tanhouse was talking about uh, the machine and he's talking about how he never really invented it because it came from the future and the nature of the bootstrap paradox. Everyone's actions in, in, that are stuck in the loop. It's like you said, Aaron, they don't have any agency because it's all happened and they have to do it and they're slaves to it.
0: But but, yeah. but that's what Aaron – I mean, that goes back to my point, though, about this being a great puzzle but not a great piece of drama. Like, mm. if the character's motivations make no sense other than, well, that's the way things had to happen, that may, like, work in some abstract logic sense, but it's not emotionally satisfying for me as a viewer.
1: Right. Mm. Right. And another another one I, I just scratched my head about was, as much as I was completely not at all sad to watch Hannah get strangled, um, <laughs> why did Hannah get strangled? Why was that? Why was that a thing we needed to see? Like, did, did that need to? Was that used as a, a way of illustrating that, that Jonas had finally become Adam? But I feel the scars kind of did that for us. I, I didn't really understand that. My whole-
3: best guess with that, Aaron, is that um, he needed to send Silja um, to the future, and Hannah wouldn't have allowed it otherwise.
1: Yeah, he could have knocked her out.
0: I I, I also wondered how <laughs> Hannah got back there.
2: How did Hannah get back?
1: Yeah, also, well, hand waved away.
0: We, we, oh, I thought we saw that. Um, well, she went back
3: to the fifties because she had the device, right? I mean, she has one of the many devices that are roaming. Oh, that's out.
2: right. I forgot that. Yeah, you're right. She yeah. just—I
3: mean, she was such a tragic character in a way. She keeps trying to escape further into the past, but
1: <laughs> but we don't know who sent her to 1890, though, do we? Does anyone remember? Oh, that's a point. Like, uh, she says something like, somebody showed up and told me I had to be here. And it's like, that's nice, but. Oh, who, oh, you're right. And why? Yeah. Other than yeah. Celia. You can assume that it's part of, I guess you can assume that it's part of Ava's machinations because she's the one who needs to have Celia get together with Bartage, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but let, me just, <laughs> let me just point out that in the official Netflix explainer video, the voiceover contains numerous assertions, which I'm pretty sure are just flatly wrong, which, uh, you know, underscores to me the, um you know, confusing nature of this show. So if they say, for example, Adam commits countless atrocities because deep down he wants a world where his Marto lives. No, I think that's mm. totally wrong. My understanding is that he wants to die and is planning to erase their whole universe.
2: Well, like he keeps crazy. talking about paradise.
0: But I think paradise for him is... Is, yeah, right. Yeah, the tricky thing
3: is not only do we have one unreliable narrator, but multiple. You know,
0: uh, yeah. we also the the Netflix explainer also says Michael Conwald hangs himself to ensure the birth of Jonas. Uh, yeah, that
1: one confused me as well.
0: Like a lot of commenters on our YouTube were saying that I don't totally get that unless I don't see con- how that I'm confused about the details because I think like you know Michael goes back in time and becomes Michael. So that by the time Michael grows up and Jonas has already been born or, you know, how to explain this, uh, Mikkel disappears before or at least contemporaneously with Michael hanging himself. So I don't see how that's necessary for Mikkel to go back in time. The only thing is like Mikkel going through the cave somehow involved a, a younger Jonas, you know, absconding with him, which maybe wouldn't have happened if Michael hadn't killed himself. But it's the sort of thing like if if the answer in the show is that simple, I feel like there should have just in the suicide note, Michael should have just said, like, I'm sorry to leave you, but this is necessary for you to exist. There's like something where I wasn't wondering about it for, you know, 27 episodes or whatever. And, and I'm like, well, maybe it was just like, the same, like, oh, it had to happen that way. Logic that applies to everything in the show.
1: Originally, my take on that, like back when we were first talking about season one, was that for whatever reason, um, because I don't know, space time collapse, et cetera, the the one they usually give in time travel movies that you couldn't have two versions of him existing in the same timeline. And that he knew that because, but but that doesn't make sense either. Because Mickle was already like 12 or whatever. There's like three versions of Marta
0: standing next to each other, you know, in the.
3: Well, I took it to mean essentially it's a butterfly effect if. If adult Mikkel Michael doesn't kill himself, then Jonas and Hannah, their family doesn't fall apart. Hannah doesn't have an affair with Ulrich, maybe, and then Mikkel doesn't go missing. That's my best. No, guess. she
0: was already having the affair with she Ulrich. Was all, yeah, I mean, I take your point that you know all the things that had to happen wouldn't have happened, but um, anyway, I, th- th- there's a bunch of things like that where I just wish some character had said, "This is why I'm doing this," like like Helga with the um. Coins and stuff, or Noah with the kidnapping the kids, because like reading. Oh, cause was there another thing with Noah? Oh yeah, the uh, the Netflix explainer says Noah murders innocent children because he's desperate to find Charlotte, who was taken from him by Charlotte. I don't think that that's right either. Well, it doesn't
2: really explain anything.
0: Um, I mean, <laughs> what I read online afterward was people were saying that there's a line in season two where Adam explains to young Jonas. That all the different time machines have to be built, which seems to me to violate the, um, bootstrap paradox logic that the rest of the show uses. But, but granting that, like, they had to build the chair time machine and they had to get it to work so that Helga could be trans, young Helga could be transported through time. And they had to do a bunch of tests sending mm-hmm. kids through time that didn't work out and killed them before they could get it to work. That kind of all makes sense to me, but I wish some character had just told me that in like, episode five or something where Mm -hmm. i would not have been wondering about it again for three you
2: know three seasons Mm. yeah and there were sorry go ahead no i was well i was if we're picking nits did anyone else uh find that there was an absolute lack of any kind of humor at all I think, with the exception with the exception of one joke at the very end. I mean, I think even I remember in the in the earlier seasons there were there were some lines that were funny. When I think Jonah said something about the fact that he just discovered that his girlfriend was his aunt or something like that, and he, he, there was a, a little bit of the a humor in the in the convolutedness of it all. There was no humor in this, and there were times when I was watching people like you know we talked about Jonah. He just everyone just looked so beaten down and weary and maybe that was the point maybe that was you know towards the end that is the release they get yeah but with the exception I, unless i missed it with unless i missed it in the german humor with the exception of one joke just at the very end there, there was no humor in this
1: i think it is deliberately bleak for sure um mm. the color palette is bleak this oh, sure. seems to film largely in the autumn and winter it's always raining everyone's always filthy um the that being said it makes the whole running gag which you you were right about that Dave. I kept <laughs> hoping there was a deeper significance to Waller missing his eye but no, it's just a running gag and it just it's such a silly Simpsons joke to me that it just kind of it's it's so odd that against this larger backdrop that this is the joke that they would choose, you know, this really silly running gag about how did you lose your eye? Is an interesting choice for sure.
3: To comment on something that you were alluding to a moment ago, um, I thought it was interesting. I kept wondering for three seasons why the show was even called Dark. And in the end, I think it's just because the two universes that were spawned from the origin universe, they were both pretty messed up. Like they were inferior, lesser, kind of like mirror universes that were definitely not the light universe, you know? mm mm-hmm. Like the kid, like the people in there. To the, speaking to the lack of humor, at least. I mean, the people populating those universes were, in general, terrible people. Like everyone was cheating on their spouse. Everyone was lying. There was murder galore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. was a lot of murder, and there was just a lot of. I, I guess the the only critique that I would have, and it's just a quibble of the puzzle element of it, is I would have liked some of. They, they go to, to such lengths and they talk about the knot and they, you know, they use the infinity symbol and then they have that one. I'm sure it's got a name that's, you know, the three kind of pyramids that all go together. Mm -hmm. But to me, it was almost more like a complex Celtic knot that has so many different strands, but there's no clear beginning and end and they're all overlapping and interlinked. And, and they did that really well. But I just would have liked some of those twists and turns not to boil down to who is somebody else's secret parent. I feel like there was just a little bit too much of that going on. And that being said, I, I don't know what I would have done diff- differently, but it would have been cool if they had found a way to integrate something else into the knot that keeps these people bound together on this kind of, you know, like like a roller coaster on a track that th- they can't get off it no matter what they do, Um, that didn't involve somebody being transported back in time to to become someone's surprise parent mm, they, there was yeah. a lot of that well, going on by well, season 2 the, yeah. and then
0: also when you look back on it so much of it seems extraneous like the whole thing with uh, the detective showing up in town to investigate yep. Alexander for murder like didn't could have just been cut out completely wouldn't make any difference um the whole thing with um Agnes having a romance with Doris could have been cut out wouldn't have made any difference so yeah i i feel like they obviously had a really I feel like they had worked out the family tree, um, probably pretty early on. Uh, I have some, I think maybe there were a couple things that kind of got like changed around at the end, I sort of suspect, but, but basically they had figured out the family tree, but then some, a lot of the other stuff I feel like was maybe being, um, you know, kind of made up on the fly and things just get like brought up and weirdly abandoned. Um, you know, David, I did
3: think that whole detective subplot was unnecessary, dramatically speaking, but I guess again the only point was they needed those barrels to open at that exact time, and he was hoping to find a dead body, I suppose. Is that yeah. why he made them dig up the barrels? I just yeah. feel like there's another way. <laughs> yeah, they could you
1: have could opened have the barrels Charlotte for some that. you know
0: less elaborate <laughs> reason. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, no, I completely agree. I, I and like it would have been more interesting to me if instead of spending time on the relationship between doris and agnes or on this um extraneous which i can't remember who it was in the last podcast but called this out at the time as being an extraneous plot thread and i said it wasn't and it turns out i was completely wrong um that would have been more satisfying if we had spent time with some of the relationships that just seem like box ticking instead like for example bartage gets together with celia who appears for five seconds um And the sole point of that is to, to produce Hanno and Agnes. Um, it, to me, having some of those relationships actually have some depth or meaning to them rather than just coupling for the, for the purpose of, of producing your complex family tree. I just, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about, about Marta's motivations. I think there was an, a vein there to be mined about the tragedy of, of all of these deep loves and meaningful lives being wiped out by the ending that we're working toward. That that it makes it genuinely bittersweet, as opposed to just kind of oh well it's over now.
0: Wait, so 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 Raphael, so you said you just watched most of season one, right? So I had completely forgotten about this, but I went back and listened to our panel on season one and I mentioned that at one point Peter is helping Helga to dispose of a child's body. Did you rewatch that part? Peter was helping Helga dispose of a
1: they moved Mads's body to the nuclear plant or something like that isn't that something mm, I,
3: I
0: don't to that recall effect. that actually um, uh, mm. maybe I misspoke or something, but that that if not no, that's no, no, another, it happens that's I totally another remember. thing that like never comes up again with Peter having any sort of conspiracy involvement in any of this stuff.
3: Well, you know, it's interesting, uh, conversely to Aaron's point a moment ago, it's like if we didn't see these couplings throughout the generations, we would be left with a lot more question marks as to who, who parented who. But it does almost seem like we could stand to have a fourth supplemental season that doesn't advance the plot at all, but just shows us some more of these relationships and what they, what they were doing over the years.
1: Just gives them some meaning and, and I'm not saying they all have to be fleshed out and I understand that they all have to be there for the puzzle to work, but it's just, it seems to me a bit odd that you spend dramatic time and, and, you know, in some cases, considerable amount of dramatic time in season two, fleshing out parts of the plot that turn out to be irrelevant while not fleshing out parts of the plot that are relevant is more, it's more like where you choose to spend your time kind of quibble.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, why did we not see Agnes and the origin unknown character to get like meet or anything. Like well, that seems that like seems such important. a weird omission given that like so much of the story revolves around that in contrast to Agnes and Doris. Right. So that's the Agnes. St- Ag- Agnes only popped up
2: towards the end in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. Didn't she? Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so that's like, that's why I agree. I think Aaron said maybe that, that there was something got moved around at the last minute there. But, I agree they um, could
3: have put more emphasis on Agnes because we kept seeing her name on the floor as part of the puzzle. She was very close to the center of the infinity symbol, but we never met her until the very
0: end, if I recall.
2: Mm.
0: I mean, I was wondering why the origin character never got introduced in season two. And I don't know if it's just like you don't want to cast three actors and then have to or like if, if, if there's some practical reason why it it, it it would be hard. But it seems like just from a storytelling perspective, mm-hmm. you know, because and- we, we had really no way of guessing particularly that um a child of jonas and marta even played a role in the story at all and my best guess david is they invented him for season
3: three but i'd love to give them the benefit of the doubt and that they had a, him written in there all along
2: <laughs>
1: it does feel a bit a bit ex post facto i agree with you um i think there was a there was hinting about adam and eve to the degree that you had adam standing in front of those paintings at one point where they were both there um if memory serves anyway, uh, toward the end of season two. But but the child thing, like, again, why is he so awful? And even the choice of people that he he murders was not always obvious to me. Like, I could sort of understand why maybe he murdered Doppler Sr. because maybe he needed him out of the picture so that Claudia could be in charge of the nuclear plant or something. I'm kind of hand-waving that. But then there's, like, why does he murder the secretary? What does she have to do with anything? Why does he murder that? Who's the guy in the carriage? Did anyone figure that, that out?
2: The guy is that not the guy? He, is he like a a town official and he they need to get permission for the nuclear power plant?
1: Sorry, that's that's the, <laughs> the that's the guy in the guy car. Oh, sorry, sorry. The guy in the carriage in the oh, eighteen ninety timeline with the is with he the not an a, an
2: early Tan House yeah, or something yeah, yeah. or a Tan House ancestor?
1: He's definitely a Tan House, but do we know which Tan House he is? Anyway.
2: He's
0: the father. Well, he's the father of the one who's blind, who shows up as right. the old man. Um, yeah. I am pretty sure he's killed or wait. Now I'm, I'm getting con- confused with the son. One of them is killed because he's going to like black Tell about time right. Tell reporters about it. Yeah.
1: So so that one seemed a little thin to me, but okay. That one I could kind of go with, but what about the secretary? Well,
0: well, even, I, I, what, yeah. what are you no talking? No t- I don't that. even remember what you're talking about.
2: I have a, I have a, <laughs> I actually have, I have the Wikipedia page open here in front of me. So I'll just read from this. The unknown trio of time travelers break into the nuclear power plant and assassinate Jasmine, Claudia's secretary. That is in the second episode. And then if you jump onto the third episode of season three, 1888, the unknown traveler murders Gustav Tanhouse. So he's busy, or they're busy.
0: But why? Do we know why he murdered the secretary?
2: Like that's Aaron's question. But well, it's a brief Wikipedia entry. It doesn't say here. I'm, I can't, I'm trying, to remember. I'm trying like, to remember. if
1: they needed to get into the power plant to create the accident in '86, I can see them murdering a security guard or something like that. But I just maybe they didn't want to pay an extra actor. I don't.
2: <laughs> I just, no, because I in really the well, in the next, why she's next...
1: important enough to merit getting whacked
2: in the next episode after they murder the secretary that's when they go in and start screwing up uh is that when they go in and start screwing up all the controls in the nuclear power yeah, plant
1: i mean i think so yeah. I, I think maybe the the thing is supposed to be maybe she was the only person around and they just happened to bump into her and so it's she just has bad to die. On, just
2: bad luck on her part which
1: yeah but i guess
0: why not just have a line of dialogue to explain that you know yeah Yeah. Like, I'm well, just, you know, just- it, it, to your earlier point, Aaron, this character's entire
3: existence, um, the triple character just goes around killing people all the time, essentially closing loops and loose ends. It's a pretty thankless existence. And given how many infinite times the loop has happened, he's probably just, it's, it, it's interesting to me to think that each, uh, iteration, like the characters lose a little bit more of their soul, you know? So maybe he, mm. there's just nothing left of this guy. He's just at this point a bad dude.
1: Which brings me back to why Marta wants to preserve it. Like, if I I don't have kids and I, I don't feel very maternal as a general rule, but I have to think <laughs> that sending your whatever eight year old around to commit murders for an infinite period of time is like not good parenting, <laughs> and, and not a thing that you really you you're you're like I'm going to move I'm going to commit all these atrocities and and move all these pieces. forever and ever just so that my child can live this happy happy life
3: yeah you know I agree it would have have been a strong scene if someone had called her out on that and said why are you saving this kid and she could have said to your point Erin it's not just him I'm saving all these people that would never exist you know if it not for this world
1: and And their lives and their loves because, you know, you have like Magnus and Francesca, for example, who are obviously strongly drawn to one another because they're a couple in both of the separate worlds. I mean, there are people whose whole lives unfold and they get married and they have children and they have hopes and dreams. And all of that is wiped out at the snap of a finger at the end of this. And so if somebody had really grappled with the implications of that, and it could have been Marta because some of them are her siblings. And, and her lover and, and things like that. And instead it's like, ladies like to protect their babies. It's like, oh, <laughs> you could have done well, well, better. Well, well so
0: what, what Rory was saying, right. About how bleak everything is, right. I mean, the show is called dark
2: mm-hmm. and
0: thematically, these are universes that were kind of a cosmic error that needs to be fixed. So it kind of makes sense that everyone's unhappy inside them. But then again, there's, there's like this, um this pro or this tension between what's sort of intellectual and thematic about the show and what would be dramatically or emotionally satisfying for a viewer. And I feel like that's another, well, cause I was, I was really comparing, um I was thinking of Jonas versus Marty McFly. Right. And mm-hmm. just like how much more interesting it is to watch Marty McFly and how often he has to do something daring or show initiative or, you know, gets into some funny situation or something. Yeah. And like Marty McFly would be totally out of place, both, Tonally and thematically in dark.
1: But the raincoat would be on point. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Although well, it know, got to the stage in dark, if the DeLorean showed up, I wouldn't have been surprised.
3: <laughs> Ultimately, this kind of boils down to the central conversation of it, this is probably the most complex narrative we've ever seen produced for television. But at some point, is it just an exercise in complexity or is it dramatically um, important? You know, that's kind of a question I was weighing the whole time I was watching. I mean, it, it's a good question.
2: I think towards the end, the the let's say the last quarter of the season is when and there's one I think, is it the very last or the second last episode where they use the 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 clock on screen where the the years ramp up and ramp down mm-hmm. and that's really when they go to town on it. You know it goes from 1950 to 2040 to 18 it, and they even use this little device which I don't think they used in season two of the 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 screen the shot warps a little bit before they jump. Did you notice that? Well, because that was only
1: squeezed through a wormhole.
3: Well, that was only for season three because they only use that to signify when they went from one world to the other world. Yeah. Right. But you know, I really you're right. In the second to last episode is when they introduced the the time, like the years on screen. I wish they'd just Mm. done that the entire time.
0: (laughs) But I feel like I feel like watching season three, I was really pretty engaged when by the aside from like the motivation stuff I said, but you know, when Jonah the story of Jonas and Marta and Adam and Ava and Claudia and how they resolve the whole bubble universes and everything. Like that was like an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like all the other characters really have nothing to do with that story in particular. And so then like in between that interspersed is just like, here's how this character got moved from this point to this point. Um, which, which, as I said, I, I, I completely lost interest in. But then the other issue I have then is that when Jonas, w- like, like the whole story ends up revolving around Tan and uh, Tan house who's like a very, very minor character and his relationship with his son, who we never heard of at all before that I can, maybe there's like a reference to it, but we never met this person before. So the whole climax of the story involves like two out of the 40 characters interacting with someone we never heard of before. And then the show's over 20 minutes later
3: I wouldn't say Tan House is a minor character. I get what you're saying. He doesn't have a lot of screen time, but he is the inventor of the machine, and he writes the book that gets passed around throughout the I entire show. I mean, like, show.
0: emotionally, like, dramatically, he's a minor sure. Like, if you were to list, like, ask someone who watched the show to list characters, he would be, like, number yeah, 20 be, or something. That he'd, be
2: third, he'd be third tier or fourth tier, I suppose.
1: I'm okay with the dark horse pulling into the lead at the end, personally. It's just I would have liked to understand how Charlotte fits into that equation a little bit better. Um... To go back to my earlier question about why did Charlotte kidnap Charlotte other than they had to because that's how it happened before. So Ava was insisting that that's what they had to do. I didn't really understand. So it's presumably related in some way to the fact that by delivering this baby to his doorstep, this somehow assuages the pain a little bit of losing his own family and he doesn't go on to build the rippy time machine. But what would have happened if he'd invented the Rippy time machine in Parallel Marto's wor- world? Like, um, We don't really deal with the implications of that, so it's not really clear why it's a thing to be avoided, if you see what I mean.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, also on that note, who actually invented the world-skipping machine? We never saw that. I mean, was it the, the universe- little, The
2: little ball-shaped one.
3: Yeah. That
1: looks like the Apple of Eden from Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess we can assume there was a version of Tan House in that world that created it, but we're never told or shown. I mean, I do agree they leave a lot of little plot threads, you know, unfinished. There's a lot of questions.
1: Which is, I, I you know, like, it's okay in sure. general, I think. I mean,
3: I, I guess to reiterate what I said before, I, I feel like... The the show could have really buckled under the weight of expectations and its own narrative in the in the third season, and the fact it's actually ninety five percent as good as season two to me is it's like a grand slam.
2: <laughs> you know, it could have been so yeah. much worse. I, I mean, if you think about the other shows, you know, you know they they we talked about sticking the landing, and how many shows have I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about Lost. I mean, did that need to go on for as long as it did? I mean, can, what this this ended where it ended and mm-hmm. they knew what they were doing and you have to respect that. And I know Netflix is different to a broadcast network, you know, which a show like lost was on, but, um, for them to end it the way they did, you know, I was kudos to them.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I think should. I think it deserves to go down as an all time great science fiction show, you know, for yeah. three yeah, seasons no- of consistently high quality.
2: No, absolutely.
0: Like as a creative work, I think it's an astounding accomplishment. I'm, I'm really, really, you know, in awe of of what they were able to do here, I'm just saying like, yeah. for future storytellers, like you know,
1: they need to you, push you, the emotional envelope. You,
0: you, yeah, you need to, you know, like like I, I don't I don't want people to just say like, oh, this show's perfect. Like it's the high water mark of time travel stories, whatever. I mean, it, it seems clear to me that there's still. You could push it even further by, by having all the puzzle stuff that the, this does well and the interesting characters and the interesting worlds and all that stuff and still, and still have a like, you know, emotionally satisfying climax that involves all the characters and makes their journeys all kind of converge and make sense. Um.
3: I think you're absolutely right. I, I suppose I look at it, um, from more of a production standpoint. Like I'm in awe of when I think about what would have gone on inside that writer's room. I don't, I don't know how they didn't pull their hair out, how to actually figure all this out and tell this story. And then the actual production itself was just really well done. Like the visual motifs, all the mirrored shots and reflections and tiny details that were similar, but not quite the same. The whole thing was just pulled off really exceptionally well.
2: I'm, I, I would love to be in. <laughs> the writer's room. I would love to see. I have a picture in my head that there's a room and there's a, a huge blackboard or whiteboard on a wall with arrows and pictures <laughs> of people. And I'm I, 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 I'm, like I'm looking at the. On the Wikipedia, I see one, <laughs> two, three. There's about five or six writers, including creator, a uh, guy called, or I don't know, the a guy? Sorry, I shouldn't assume. Baron Bo Odar and Yanta Frisa. Um, yeah, but I, think I would they're just. A mar- am- I
0: think they're a married couple, yeah.
2: Yeah, I would, ju- I would love to see. Um, the inside of that room I just, i'm convinced there's a huge chart on a wall oh yeah but you know well you know in every i'm
1: still convinced there's a great deal of pot smoke
3: <laughs> well you know every <laughs> in, in every sci-fi movie where you see someone's gone insane and they've written little scribblings all around an entire room and they add up to something important that had to be what the writer's room looked like like literally mm-hmm. they should have just filmed that
1: i mean i i think they they probably even gave us a little glimpse of what it looked like when they kept showing that uh that thing on the wall which actually didn't make a lot of sense to me you know that the diagram with the uh infinity symbol in the middle that they were calling the origin I, at first i thought it was a family tree but it's it's not it's not a family tree so i'm not so clear on what the what the lines all meant but anyways that's fine it, it doesn't really need to make sense but um but yeah i'm 100% with you dave i think they absolutely nailed it intellectually nothing is ever perfect um but they came as close to a perfectly satisfying time travel puzzle as as I need to get personally, but they just where future stories and, and shows could really stand to push the envelope is making those emo- emotional punches land. Um, And, and I, they did that, I think fairly well, actually in season one and occasionally in season two.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it just seemed like there was so much to get done in season three and so many, so many threads to tie off that, Maybe they just didn't really feel like they had the space to do it. But unfortunately, that did sap some of the the, the drama out of it in the end.
3: I mean, the scope and the ambition of the show is just marvelous, but I, I agree that you probably could have had a few less characters, a few less sub subplots, and it still would have been wonderfully complex
0: and rewarding
1: yeah, and maybe well, a little
0: more character development.
3: I'd still be really, would have
1: given you nosebleeds. Yeah. I'd be
0: really interested to have someone do like a fan edit where they just cut out the stuff that turns out not to actually be necessary to the story. And
1: Has I'd anyone checked if there's any dark fan fiction? <laughs>
0: no.
1: it, it might be really interesting.
0: I was wondering
3: if there is a super fan somewhere in the world that's going to make a a a definitive chronological
0: edit of the of the whole story. That'd be interesting. Hmm.
1: Do we want to get into the uh, fan theories about the ending or talk about the ending?
0: Well, we need to. Yeah, let's let's get to the ending. So 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 so. so, I'm sorry, Rory. I cut you off uh, like an hour ago, but you (laughs) uh, you were going to talk about the ending. So tell us. Oh,
2: the the ending. So so the ending. So well, so Jonas and alternate Marta, uh, learn that the origin is Tannhaus in a third world. Am I right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. And Tannhaus is overcome with grief for the loss of his son's daughter-in-law and his granddaughter. So he starts building this time machine, which again is a, it's a fabulous looking piece of design uh, in the nuclear shelter. And he switches that on and that's what creates the two other worlds. So then Jonas and Marta are told that look that you, to sort this out, you got to go back into this alternate world, stop Tanhouse's son and daughter and granddaughter from dying. So they zap using the ball into the third world. And initially what happens was there's a scene before this where Tannhaus and his son have a row and it's a horrible night raining and they drive off. And we'd already learned previously that, that they died in a car crash. So they zap out of. The one world, land into the alternative world and they materialize in front of the car and the car has to screech and get out of their way and I thought, oh Jesus they're the cause of the crash, that was my That's, first thought, thought that, too, yeah. that was my first thought That was a wonderful then, fake out Yeah, yeah, so then the, there's this whole scene where um, um, you know, they get out of the car, they talk to Jonas, Jonas gives them a quote about what we know is a, I'm trying to remember, it was a good quote actually, if I could use it again, what we know is a yeah. drop, what we don't know is an ocean, which yeah, is yeah. A, great, a great quote. So then that obviously breaks the spell and the son-in-law goes back and it doesn't spark the whole thing that kicked everything off. And as a result, everyone who was created, he doesn't create the time, he doesn't switch the time machine on, doesn't create the time machine. And as a result, everyone who was created Or who was born as a result of time travel. It's a sort of a Avengers endgame moment where they just disappear in a sort of a fluttering of light. And that, and that's the end. And then our very final scene is we're left with the people that were independent of time travel, that whose existence did not rely on time travel at all, that were not brought about as a result of time travel. That's Katrina, um, Peter, Peter's boyfriend uh the guy we met first is work, working as a prostitute in the
1: Bernadette the
2: Bernadette no, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so yeah, there are all these people then and I, I was talking about that that very ending i thought the ending for all these people i know we've talked about you know all these people uh, disappear i thought that was the release for them I, and i thought it was a i thought i really liked the ending there
0: mhm yeah so i mean but i then... just 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 to be clear so there was basically like the original universe and then there's the two new universes that were created branches by edge, yeah. time travel. And so the people in the original universe don't know anything about time travel because it never happens at all to them. And they don't know about any of these people. Like they don't know that these people have disappeared or anything. Um, and I really liked that the show was willing to do that kind of, you know, essentially kill all the characters, you know, yeah. that you have been following for three seasons. Uh, I thought that was pretty gutsy. Um, and you know, isn't fitting, fitting with the name of the show dark um did ever, didn't everyone agree with that 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 was kind of a cool oh cool yeah went there
3: i mean that's kind of the ultimate sacrifice when you think about it it's one thing to you know sacrifice your life to save people when you can get the credit posthumously but when no one even knows you existed <laughs> that's a real sacrifice hmm.
1: yeah and 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 Jonas and Marta get to deal with that to some extent, and they have this this sort of emotional conversation after they've um, diverted the crash on the bridge. Which I was so sure, and I, I guess they did that deliberately, so sure that that was going to be the cause of the car crash. Yeah, I actually sh- shouted, "I fucking knew it!" <laughs> and my husband was like, "What?" And I and then I was like, "Never mind." <laughs> and anyway, so like right after that, um, they they have this very heartfelt conversation in which. Marta is basically like, because they know what's going to happen. That this means that they will never exist, and she's kind of like, "Will any trace of us still be there?" And Jonas doesn't say anything because he never says anything, <laughs> and then they and then they disappear into glitter. And then later in that final scene, when um when the characters are sitting around the table, some of whom, just in parentheses, are some of the least sympathetic characters in the show, and I'm thinking notably of. Regina, who I can't even remember why I don't like, but I don't. It's so far back in season one that I've forgotten why, but I just remember that I didn't. And then Hannah, who's the worst. Um, <laughs> Katerina, who's kind of so-so. So anyway, th- the survivors are not necessarily the most um, uh, meritorious. Is that a word? <laughs> <Yeah>. Anyways. Um,
0: <laughs> a meritorious.
1: Um, they weren't necessarily the nicest people, but... But all of that w- is fine. But that's almost why it's disappointing that they kind of didn't lean harder. That's one of those missed emotional moments for me, missed opportunities to really make it land. That some of these more uh, appealing characters. Well, but just I, think the impl-
0: I think the implication is in this world they're not all such awful people. Like they seem you know happier and more you know functional
1: and stuff, Maybe. right?
0: And yet it was interesting.
3: One of them still joked about how the world would be better off without Wyndon, which I found interesting to have read right at the end. Yeah. yeah,
1: and it was like, well, no, sweetheart, the world would be better off without you. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, she has this moment where she's sitting around and she sees this yellow raincoat, and she starts talking about, and this is where the fan the fan theories come into it. Um, she starts talking about, um, you know, it's it's clearly Jonas's. Uh, raincoat or a similar raincoat to the one that he wore and that alternate Marta wore. And she starts talking about this deja vu that she had. Well, and, and the, she, the
0: power flickers too.
1: That's right. Yeah. The power flickers. And that's what triggers her talking about this deja vu. She had this dream in which Wyndon didn't exist and it was all very peaceful. And then she decides, and she's pregnant and she decides she's going to name her baby Jonas. And so my takeaway watching that was that, um you know, th- that there were echoes going back to what Marta had said that even though they didn't exist, there were still somehow echoes of them in the timeline. Mm-hmm. But there are fan theories that it hints at something darker than that. And it does make sense that, you know, one of the, one of the more hand wavy, one of the rare hand wavy, not really tackling it moments in the show. It was somewhere early in season three where young Jonas is in the apocalypse timeline. So 2021, somewhere around there. And he tries to hang himself. Oh yeah! And Noah walks in, um, and is and stops him from hanging himself, and essentially says, "You can't die."
2: He tries because to shoot
1: any, him. T- any time, any anytime you try to die, whether you know whatever you try to do, someone or something will always stop you because the timeline prevents it. That logic never seems to apply to anybody but Jonas. Because oh, it does come up again. That was, well,
3: I thought, I thought that was a great little Chekhov's gun moment because it plays into uh, Adam and Ava right at the end when she tries to shoot herself and she can't.
1: Yes, but that makes more sense to me as old Ava because otherwise, all this murdering that people are doing doesn't make any sense, right? And well, where I was going with this is that it, it, you require time travel to avert the disaster that creates time travel.
0: Well, but it, it's just that nobody can die who's seen their older self or whose older self is known to exist. So all the people who die, like Katarina or, or uh, whoever else, we've never seen an older version of them in the
2: story. Because they're not linked to time travel to begin with. I
1: suppose that's true. But it still doesn't answer the question of the, the time travel. You need time travel to prevent the creation of time travel, which... I'm not saying you need to answer that question, but it's that loophole that has created all of these fan theories, I think.
3: <laughs> oh, you know what? Actually, I misspoke, too. I think that's what they wanted you to think. It was a Chekhov's gun moment, but then he shows that he had taken the bullets out, and that's why it wouldn't fire. So,
2: anyway. No, but did, did not in the scene where Jonas tried to hang himself. Young Noah shows up and tries to shoot him, and it doesn't work. Yeah. And then he... Jonas he tries to he, shoot he, himself. Yeah. yeah. And then he he shoots the gun, you know, into the wall or whatever, and it works. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I think I agree with Aaron that it never becomes really a major plot point that anyone else finds that they can't kill themselves. Um, and also like, um, Jonas is the only one who gets like his face, um, you know, also that disfigured by time travel, which also seems a little contrived to me. Yeah,
2: why, why didn't it happen to Marta Ava? Yeah. I- I-
0: I kept waiting for them to show us something terrible that
3: had actually happened to him. And, like, you know, essentially the reveal would be that when he said, you know, it leaves a mark on you, that was metaphoric. But, yeah, why was he alone disfigured by the act of time traveling?
1: The, the other thing is, at, at a certain point, I thought maybe it was because he survived the apocalypse, you know, when he runs into the basement. Um, and I admit this is, this is something that flew completely over my head when I was watching it. I didn't get the Marta split all the way. I didn't totally understand. So I thought there's a couple of scenes where they're showing um, Marta, alternate Marta showing up to either. So that, okay, let me backtrack. The last (laughs) scene, I think it's the last scene of season two is where Jonas is in the house and Marta has just been shot by Mm -hmm. Adam and the apocalypse is happening. And then alternate Marta shows up with the apple of Eden. And it's like, we got to get out of here. So, That scene, when they show us again later, um, can play out in two different ways, and they actually show them side by side in a split screen at one point, where Marta can either run in and um, save him, or she's stopped by Bartosz and taken away, and Jonas runs into the basement. I thought Jonas running into the basement was the end of that Jonas. But that's not the case. He somehow survived.
0: He's, He's the one who becomes Adam.
3: Well, this is what I alluded to with the whole Schrodinger's cat can of worms thing, because it seems like the two universes that were never meant to exist also spawned an entire multiverse of multiple decisions. And so they all got wiped out. But, I mean, they didn't really see that idea all the way through. They just introduced it and then cherry picked what was necessary to bring Jonas back.
0: Yeah that's an interesting point cuz cuz Claudia says she or she either says or implies that she's done this a lot you know taking advantage so so basically there's like this glitch in time when the apocalypse happens that enables you to make a new path basically And so she implies that she's done this a lot. So yeah, why are there not millions of or like, however many times she's done this universes uh, diverging based on her different decisions?
1: And isn't that the solution to everyone's problem? Like, couldn't you all just chill? Because then you all show up at the the bubble and you make the branch of time that, that suits you. And you stick with that one, as opposed to like, I have to wipe it all out.
3: And that would have actually been some really interesting cosmology there if they could have gone into how the universes kept splitting unintentionally and they were creating a multiverse that was never meant to exist and it was threatening to destroy reality if they didn't rein it in. That could have a big
2: apocalypse. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe someone can answer this one that confused me was um, Elizabeth, where did the split happen? Or how did, let's call her post apocalyptic Elizabeth? With you know the one eye and the I call the her headband. Mad Max Liz. Yeah, Mad Max Elizabeth. <laughs> where where did she split off from? Let's call her um, uh, Elizabeth with Noah in the future and the baby. Where did that? Where did that one? Where did those two Elizabeths come from? Am I, can, you know what I mean?
1: I think one just became the other over the course of a lot of shitty. So the the Elizabeths,
2: the Elizabeth that stole Charlotte towards the end of season three is mad max elizabeth which mm-hmm. i like so does the other elizabeth who noah leaves behind to go searching for charlotte is that who she turns into is that who she develops into i think so well you know that, that was, was
3: that one character was the most i don't know if anyone saw the movie predestination but they really went outside the box with this one because if i'm not mistaken uh, charlotte was both elizabeth's daughter and mother that's right yeah Yeah, yeah. and so we yeah we saw one elizabeth who you know there was obviously an elizabeth who had a relatively decent few years in the past we never really got to see that but we we did see 2041 elizabeth get her baby snatched and obviously became 2052 you know mad max elizabeth but that was pretty wild
0: Hmm. yeah i'm afraid i i I can't keep i can't keep
3: track of that um i did have one question though um about Since we're talking about the ending and the significance of characters, it seemed like when Claudia was telling Adam the way things really were and how he'd been wrong all along, she says, you know, for 33 years, I searched for the answer and I realized it was Regina, uh, Regina. Basically, Regina. she could not exist in either of these universes, and she must have been from a third origin universe. I was a little murky on how she deduced that exactly, and she kind of seemed Agreed. to imply that Regina had originated from the origin universe, but somehow came into I, I wasn't sure about any of that. I mean, what made Regina so confused. special?
1: I was also mm- confused. And, and no, can I, I just point no, out, no, I that, don't, like, okay, go I, ahead.
0: I don't think there was anything special about Regina. I think that the issue was that um the time, the existence like Regina had been born already in the origin universe before time splits. Unless I'm getting, unless I'm totally confused.
2: Well, and Regina's she, existence isn't dependent on any of the time travel stuff.
0: Right. Cause she's in the family photo, right at the end. Right. So she's mm. already been born when, when the, all the time travel stuff happens and then the mm. existence of the nuclear power plant causes her to develop cancer. And so then she dies. And mm. so, In order, I don't know if you noticed in the last, in the origin universe, there's no uh, nuclear power plant because, um, you know, the, the unknown trio didn't like blackmail the, didn't get, didn't get the guy to sign off the form. Mm. So, 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 so the reason that Regina dies in both branches is because of the existence of the nuclear power plant in both branches. So you have to like get back to a universe with no nuclear power plant for her to live a healthy adult life.
1: I think all that makes sense but if I'm not mistaken the question Raphael is asking is how does Claudia reach that conclusion simply on the basis of the evidence she has before her. So it makes sense once you know that there's an origin universe that she's that she's fine in it but how do you looking at the existence of the two parallel worlds the Adam world and the Eva world how does how does Regina provide her the key that leads her to that conclusion? I also didn't understand the the, the thought process there.
3: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't think we know the details, but we see that, like, like you mentioned, the three-leaf design, and so I mean, mm. I, th- I think there is just sort of like, maybe, maybe there's just information floating around somewhere in that book or whatever that you know implies the existence of a of a third universe.
2: It's mm. a triquerta knot. It was, it was driving me crazy. I looked it up. <laughs> okay.
1: Oh yeah. Thank you. Um. But the other the other piece, like to go back to motivations again, you know, so there are kind of these three. we think it's a a dyad because that was one of the things I liked was the speech. I think it's Claudia that gives it, um, older Claudia, gives the speech about how we're programmed to sort of think in terms of dichotomy and darkness and light. And it's all duality. But in fact, that's a, you know, a really superficial way of looking at it. And there's always a third dimension, We're indeed a fourth dimension. But anyway, so we have these three worlds. And, you know, you've got Adam, who's kind of pulling the strings, she's the puppet master of of season one world, and then you've got Ava, who's the puppet master of season three world. And Claudia is kind of, you could argue, a puppet master or the puppet master of the origin world in the sense of she's the one who's worked out that it exists and all these pieces. So you have these, you know, these three, two of the three of them essentially have the same motivation, which is that they want to protect their child, which, I'm sorry, but not, not to harp on the same point over and over it it made more it was more yeah. satisfying and made more sense to me with with Claudia's storyline and they had kind of already used that chip. So yeah.
0: Well well yeah, anyway. no, I totally agree with you. I just want to point out that with, with among those three characters, how I see it is that Adam thinks he knows things that Ava doesn't and he's wrong, and she thinks that she knows things that he doesn't know and she's right, but then Claudia knows things that both of them don't know, and so it's like um, Claudia's pulling the strings on Ava, who's pulling the strings on Adam. Hmm.
2: Huh.
1: Claudia is definitely the one who applied the most scientific approach to her problem, which is totally in keeping with her character, and I liked that. Right, where she's just like, "I'm going to be patient. I'm going to explore. Um, I'm going to I'm going to learn and kind of put the pieces together." Whereas the others are just getting sort of blown around by the winds.
3: Yeah. It was almost a little disappointing to see Adam after all his philosophizing and and lecturing be pretty naive to think that when he was trying to kill Marta, that that would eliminate existence, because clearly that was just part of the loop. Why did he think that had never been tried before?
1: Yeah, at least not posed to himself the question of, I wonder if I've done this before.
3: Right.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that. I guess what that's one of the issues is that if you have characters who are, who appear as teenagers, as adults, and as old people, the amount of time that they've had to think about this and try different things gets really, really unwieldy. So you have to kind of like just, uh, hand wave that a little bit, I think.
3: It's funny you mentioned that, David. I made a comment to my girlfriend while watching the show. Like, do you think Adam like just ever goes out and sees a movie or anything, or is this just like an all-encompassing twenty-four-seven obsession? I don't.
2: That's seems- something I often think about when I'm watching these shows. I mean, you know, do they eat? What do they do? What, yeah. Do they sit around thinking? You know, looking at the, at their map on the floor all day? You know? yeah, <laughs> it sure like, seemed like so it. So he was glad just staring. We don't at- see that? <laughs> there was a great sketch on a. It's a slight uh, tangent. There was a great sketch on a comedy show here on the BBC, which was uh, basically. They, uh, what what did the bridge of the Star Trek do all day? You know, basically, are we there yet? You know, so kind of <laughs> what what happens for the rest of Dark when when they're not. Uh, I'm thinking totally about all this down stuff.
1: with not seeing that. I just it always reminds me of uh, my husband and I often read in as you know as we're going to bed. I, I think this is common, and he w- when he was reading the the girl with the dragon tattoo, which I've never read, so I can't comment on the degree to which this is the case. But he would just. Kept stopping and going. He's eating another fucking sandwich.
2: Like, I'm
1: so tired of hearing about this guy's sandwiches. And I was like, mm, I I can understand that. I really can. So I don't I don't need to see the sandwich myself. It's okay if that happens off stage, as far as I'm concerned.
3: Hmm.
0: All right. I'm just looking over my notes here. I guess one other thing I really liked that I just want to mention. I don't know if everyone noticed this is that in season one. The teenagers are swimming in the lake, and Bartosz tries to scare Marta by talking about a dead woman in the lake. And then that turns out, in season three, to be Katarina. I thought that was a really cool detail. Oh, That's yeah. great. I
1: totally forgot about that.
0: That's really That's cool. nice. One thing I noticed during the rewatch is,
3: because uh, I guess I'd forgotten this, um, in season three, You know, Hannah finds uh, Charlotte's hair on Ulrich's sweatshirt. But that also happened in season one, basically, just different characters. It was Katarina mm-hmm. finding Hannah's hair. So I found, you know, the show like just does an admirable job of symmetry and duality. It's great.
1: The the St. Christopher, is it St. Christopher?
3: Yeah. Um, the, 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 yeah, the, the coin,
1: metal. the yeah. metal, and how that ends up on the beach is, is dark and, and awesome as well.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's actually a YouTube video I watched where it traces that. Um, you know, through every scene. And it ends up getting multiplied four or five times. And, you know, both versions, of, you know, Jonah, young Jonas and Mar- young Marta both end up with one and Adam and Ava both end up with one. And it's kind of, you don't realize, at least I didn't realize yeah. watching it, how complicated all that got.
1: And the Ariadne references were pretty cool, too.
0: Oh, yes.
3: You know, I suspect most people will just watch the series once and hopefully they do. But I think it really would benefit from repeat viewings, the things you would pick up.
2: Mm.
0: yeah well and also especially now that you can just watch all three back to back you know you yeah. don't have to wait a year between seasons like we did which makes it really really you know a struggle to to start the next season <laughs> totally
2: <laughs> i had read that it was it was extremely popular when the more especially in germany and i would imagine i've been reading a lot it's something i'm very interested in generally uh, this kind of tech side of netflix and you know the Especially how well they've been doing, given that everyone has been at home now for three months or whatever it is. And I'd love to know how this has done for them. Um, cause I know some of their other foreign language programs, uh, the, the money heist, the Spanish, the Spanish one has been a huge so show. So good. The, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous, but it's really entertaining. I'd love to know how, how this has done for them. And I've seen, you know, while other productions, have stopped Netflix from what I understand has the benefit of being able to reach right around the world and pick stuff up, you know, everywhere from Turkey to Israel to, you know, in this case, Germany, I'd love to know how it has been doing for them.
3: Yeah,
1: this property specifically, or
2: this dark, I'd love to know how dark has been doing was, I think it's something if you're stuck at home, uh, you know, you could just get into it.
1: I think, like I said, I suspect just from looking at the numbers on some of the YouTube videos, it must be doing pretty well. Hmm.
3: Yeah, I think it is doing deceptively well. I posted about it to my Facebook and I wasn't expecting a lot of engagement, but I had about 15 or 20 people say they were watching it and really enjoying it.
2: Yeah,
3: mm. You know, one of the recurring motifs I actually really enjoyed in the show, especially since it's about recurring motifs, um, was the music. Uh, if you noticed, about seven or eight minutes before the end of every episode, there would always be a musical montage. And yeah. I, I thought that was neat because a lot of shows do that at the very end of episodes. But I thought this was the only time I'd ever seen it in that placement. And I liked it a lot.
1: I think The Walking Dead did that.
2: The music mm. reminded me because I, I had, I had, I, Dave, I'd listened to your Devs discussion, and mm. I only had recently finished watching Devs. Uh, it was on the BBC here, and um, the music, a lot of the music, uh, especially some of the songs they used, not the score, let's say, it reminded me it was the same kind of theme. I thought the same kind of vibe off the music. Mm.
1: I didn't check, but was the group that sang "What a Wonderful World" at the end was that the same ones that did the title music? I think it was. I don't
2: know.
3: Oh, you know, I'm not sure, but I did look into the title music because I thought it was really haunting and hypnotic. I, I never mm-hmm. skipped the credits, no matter how. Because, um, you know, I thought it was just really clever. For neither ever nor ever, goodbye. You know, it's really poetic and, and nice. I, apparently by a German musician, Apparat, from 2011.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I'm wondering if Apparat... Um, I remember looking that up because I really liked it. And I'm wondering if Apparat w- was the The artist that recorded the that version of it, what a wonderful world because it had that same kind of um the same kind of harmonics to it mm-hmm. which just went so well with the kaleidoscope opening sequence um it was just a it was a really wonderful blend
2: yeah. and
1: knowing what we know about dark now, just aside from being visually mind bending using the kaleidoscope as a way of of uh, distorting the images in the opening sequence is super clever because, of course, it relies on the overlapping lenses.
0: Absolutely. I want to mention, I sent you guys a video like a couple hours ago. I don't know if you all had a t- chance to watch it, but it's called Insane Dark Season 3 Ending Theory that will blow your minds. That's <laughs>
1: what I was alluding to before, and I interrupted myself and completely forgot to get there.
0: Yeah. Well, so do you want to talk about that, Aaron?
1: Um, or do you well, want me to? You go ahead.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so, so basically the, the idea is that we're led to believe that um, Claudia has destroyed the two universes, and now everyone's going to live happily ever after. But this theory is that actually this is just another loop that repeats over and over again, and that Tannhaus is going to invent the time machine anyway, and Jonas is going to be born anyway, I guess, although that's a little weird, and and, and everything's just going to repeat again. And the sort of support for that is like, like the fact, you know, because it's established throughout the show that whenever the lights flicker, it's because somebody's traveling through time, and so it seems a little weird that they would have the lights flicker. You know, it's it, it, it's a, it's a at the very least a huge red herring if that's not intended to suggest somebody's traveling through time in the um. Or I the think universe.
3: I think spiritually, it's meant to imply that we fall prey to certain predilections and patterns and just because this knot was untied and solved doesn't mean it won't happen again but i mean jonas will clearly be a different jonas he
2: won't have the same father uh and things will have only one eye (laughs) right i don't know i think it's i think it's a sort of a soprano's don't stop believing moment you know i agree
3: yeah no that's a great way to put it you know i think it kind of uh leaves it ambiguous but also it's a it's a little dark you know which is apropos Mm. for the show you know speaking of the opening credits i was a little surprised i mean i'm not surprised but i was hoping when i when i fired up the final episode that would they would have introduced like a third reflection you know that just would have been a nice touch since that was the first episode where we knew there was three worlds
1: uh oh i see what you mean like, Yeah,
3: in- instead of just like the mirrored images yeah it would have been nice to have like you you reminded me when you said kaleidoscope that would have been ni- a nice touch
2: sorry what did people think about in that final episode of the kind of? where Jonas and Marta go into the tunnel. The tunnel isn't made yet or completely yet because they're waiting for Tannis to switch on the time machine. And then, you know, we're in this kind of 2001-esque tunnel with lights shooting by, and they see younger versions of themselves from their kids. What do you think of that?
3: It's a good question. I mean, uh, it, it was very 2001 Interstellar-esque, and it was interesting, but I also find my, found myself thinking it might be, you know, one step too far.
1: <laughs> you know, I don't know. I didn't love it.
2: It seemed to go on too long, I think.
1: I didn't understand what the kids in the closet. I, I mean, it was supposed to be touching, but I was just like, what's happening? Yeah, it just to me
0: didn't look that good either. Just the special right.
1: and agree. Compare it to the infinite corridor in Castlevania, for example. Yeah,
3: and it was just a little odd that, like, they they started walking. You know, they're just in this spacey corridor, and then they turn on. You know, the the apple machine too to get them into the next world. Was that I don't know. It's like how did they know to even do that, and why was that necessary? It, it was just all a little convoluted at that moment, I guess.
2: I think my one of my favorite design features of the whole thing is when the The God particle is unstable and they use electricity or lightning and it it stables and it turns like a, from this sort of angry, it's nearly, you know, it's this sort of angry, uncontrolled thing to this matte black sphere. I just love it every time. Every time that happens, I love it. Yeah.
1: I liked the uh, Tesla coil action in 1890 when he was just trying to, trying to use 1890 technology to create the portal.
3: That was super cool. Which
1: I'm not. I mean, he, he, you gotta say, he really, um, he really leveled up his scientific mojo. He
3: did, right? He had no formal training. He was just a high school kid.
1: (laughs) And suddenly he's like full on Tesla coil.
3: (laughs) You know, I felt really bad for that version of Jonas, uh, or Jonas because, you know essentially when uh, rory alluded to they all kind of got in uh, endgame snapped away at the end you know he was just sitting in his bed and you know yeah it was great that adam and ava knew what was up but all these other characters are just at indeterminate points in the loop and all of a sudden they're just vanishing from reality without a chance to
1: like 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 magnus and francesca are making sweet sweet love and then all of a sudden (laughs) they just turn into glitter dust like that's such a bummer dude
3: well also it kind of glosses over the horror of i mean these these worlds are populated by millions of other people and all these people just vanished into thin air too. I mean they had no idea what was going on.
1: This Dude, that's is what so I'm dark. saying exactly. I know. <laughs> well, I mean I they, I don't know yes. Like getting into the full end game apocalypse is maybe too far, but it just how many versions of Jonas did we see turn into sparkles? But we didn't <laughs> see a single version of some of these other characters that we've spent so much time with. Yeah, turning yeah. into sparkles.
0: Well, that's a that's a huge issue. I mean, this is a kind of tangent. I mean, I actually wrote a short story about this called "The Second Rat." If anyone wants to read it, but like any time travel story that involves changing time in any way involves like killing millions of people, presumably mm-hmm. every time you make even the tiniest change, and it's something that time travel stories kind of hand wave or a lot <laughs> because it's like you know kind of. Yeah. yeah, that
3: it's would have been so an interesting thing to bring up, to be honest. Uh Aaron mentioned the morality of keeping the world going despite all the suffering and horribleness. But, you know, Ava could have said, look, it's not just our world. We're not the only 30 people in it. It's our job to keep it going. What right do we have to end it?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There was a a lot of a lot of uh emotional depth to be plumbed there for sure,
3: but I suppose the counter argument would be, well, you're just releasing them from an endless hell because everyone's lives are just on a loop that can't, and I guess the rest of the universe
0: was on a loop too, <laughs> I don't know but... trippy, yeah, yeah but uh, you know would you rather be alive and unhappy or dead? I mean, I'd rather be alive and unhappy, but um you know oh, I don't absolutely know, you know there's a lot of yeah so i guess it it's interesting that this show brings up you know. These sort of philosophical issues that you can you can talk about, um, but, it,
1: we're, we're, but it doesn't bring them up. Well, <laughs> it, the, it, it implies them, but yeah, it doesn't actually it, get into it. It
0: implies them, yeah. Um, all right, we're pretty much out of time. I just want to point out that I predicted everything totally right in the <laughs> se- uh, season two panel. I couldn't even like when I went back and listened to it. I was like, wow, I can't believe how many things I got right. I feel like I got more right about season three than the Netflix explainer. Did, that was made after the show came out.
1: That's what I said to you in the email. I was like, you got a pretty solid batting average there.
3: Wow. So <laughs> Yeah, I, did, I didn't go back did and listen, well. but I imagine I struck out across the
2: board, probably. <laughs> I was I was listening in the car on the way to work today. The only thing I got right was that um, Hannah and, uh, who was it, Trontic, or no, Egon, back in the day, they, they had an affair and had a baby. That was yeah, yeah, That was yeah, my no, one I, call. <laughs> no, I wrote, I wrote that
0: down, yeah. But let me just read what I got right. So, I <laughs> he's doing a victory lap,
1: ladies and gentlemen. Dining out, he's
0: dining out. Let, let him have it. Let him have it. I correctly predicted that Adam is suicidal and has lied to Noah about paradise. I correctly predicted that Claudia wants to stop time travel from ever happening, uh, I, which would erase many of the characters. I correctly predicted that Claudia wants to change things so her daughter doesn't d- die of cancer. Uh, I correctly predicted that the new Martha, Marta, comes from a world where Jonas doesn't exist, and I correctly predicted that adult Jonas and Adam didn't encounter new Martha in their
1: timeline.
2: So uh, I think that's pretty good. Also, folks. also without <laughs> the eye, we should do like forgot. A, we should do a podcast or something. <laughs> you, you
1: forgot that you called the the stupid eye joke.
0: And uh, yeah, and I said that the wall eye joke was just a running gag that was not going to turn yeah. out to have any. Success.
3: That's true. That was the best prediction of all. <laughs> Well I guess the I guess the theme of the whole show in the end was just time travel is uh, is a bad idea.
0: <laughs> Don't there's do. Like, it. There's like like a, a Calvin and Hobbes where they they have some adventure like that and and in, in the end uh Hobbes says like what if we learn from this and Calvin says yeah it's like oh no it's sorry it's not time travel but it's just like snow goons are bad news. And, and Hobbs says, like, I thought we would have learned something, like, with more general applicability than that. And Calvin's <laughs> like, I, I like, I like lessons that don't involve behavior modification on my part. <laughs> all right. That's great. Um, all right. So any final thoughts? Uh, so, um, Raphael, final thoughts? Oh, just a wonderful
3: show, start to finish. I'm really glad it exists and did not get erased from reality.
0: <laughs> Aaron, final thought
1: yeah agree um really enjoyed it and i I hope that this augurs well for future time travel shows that they've you know kind of raised the bar and um and and also demonstrated to netflix and and other um content acquirers slash managers that there is an appetite out there for a more intellectually challenging show that doesn't just hand wave all of these things away and that we don't need a lot of explosions and car chases and and that sort of thing um at least not all of us and and there is you know as challenging as it is in the fact that you still get to the end and, and need a, an official network explainer and and a, and a family tree and all the rest of it to to fully put put it together it's still worth it and it can be really satisfying and hopefully they'll take some more chances
0: yeah yeah definitely sets a high watermark for kind of intellectual exploration of time travel i think it's interesting that it came out of germany and you know makes me interested to find out what else might be out there that i haven't seen yet um and uh yeah and i think you know definitely should um inspire other um you know writers to you know to do everything that this does well and then see like how, how much farther you can push time travel stories um, on top of that. Um, but so Rory, so thanks so much for uh, suggesting this show. I'm really <laughs> glad I watched it. So I'm going to, and I'm going to give you the final word here. So what, are, uh, you, what
2: I would say I 100% agree with uh, everyone. Uh, it's one of the best shows I've seen in a long, long time. I think I said this in our first podcast, it's stuck with me in a way that other shows have not. Uh, so watch it. If you're at home, if we're going into another lockdown, take advantage of that time but I, my one piece of advice is do not wait one year between seasons <laughs> watch it just watch it absolutely
1: and maybe write down your questions as you have them
3: <laughs> watch it with a map on the wall for sure the family tree is vital exactly
0: all right so we're going to wrap things up there so we've been speaking with aaron Lindsay, Raphael jordan and rory carroll so thanks everyone so much for joining us
1: Thank you. It was fun.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Aaron Lindsay, Raphael Jordan, and Rory Carroll for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy
1: is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarrkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.